Welcome to the Fuzzy Mike, the interview series, the podcast, whatever Kevin wants to call it. It's Fuzzy Mike. Normally, we would be congratulating the artist on signing to a major label. Uh, this time around, we're actually congratulating the label <laughs> on getting such a phenomenal artist in Cody Johnson. How, how many offers did you turn down before you finally decided to sign with Warner Music Nashville? Uh, quite a few. It was, this goes back to, uh, shoot, a couple of years, probably three or four years ago, uh, we started getting the, the offers. But this was before we had the album Ain't Nothing To It. Um, when we created the album Ain't Nothing To It, I did it independently, myself and my buddy Trent Wilman that produces my records, and Howie Edelman, my longtime manager and friend, is here today, and he said, man, we need to shop this record. And my exact words were, I'm not going to give anybody a piece of a pie that didn't help me make. And uh, he said, well, this is good enough to, that we need to, I think we can say what we want to maintain. And uh, whenever I kind of spouted off the things that I felt like I deserved to keep and the things I had, my lawyer, uh, Jess Rosen, said, good luck getting that signed. And, well, it's funny now because we got it signed. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, it was one of those things where every, every meeting I had, and I'm not going to throw mud at the industry and I'm not going to name names, but there was always discussion of changing my producer or taking my cowboy hat off and just little stuff that just it didn't you know I'd rather be in the poorhouse with my music than to be a billionaire singing something I don't believe in so well even with Kojo Records and your independent releases uh what five or six of them before this uh the, the new one that's out now ain't nothing to it uh you got a 25 acre ranch and you're doing okay for yourself I mean did you really need a record label to make what Cody Johnson was wanting to make yeah, yes and no. Yes and no, yeah. Yes and no, because, I mean, I think if you're happy in your own skin, it really doesn't matter how well you're doing. If you're happy at the end of the day, you're happy. Um, all this could go away tomorrow. I could never play another show for the rest of my life, and it's been one hell of a ride, and I'm pretty thankful for that. So, uh, But, yeah, you do want to. And, I mean, you get to this point, you've worked for almost 12 years, you get to the point where you go, man, I wonder where this could go. I wonder how big this could get. You know, you'd be a fool to make it this far and then not pursue it any further. So I think that where that came in was, uh, and we'll talk about this a little bit later before we start, you know, getting into the songs, but the radio play that we received here at 93Q uh, really spawned a lot of, you know, to sell 10,000 more tickets at the rodeo the first year we played it with the call-up than we actually had. Because of radio play, we knew that that was a valuable piece to our organization, and it was going to take signing to a record label. We just didn't know it was going to, we had to be the right record label. We didn't know it would be Warner Brothers Nashville, but that's what it took. Well, we're very, very happy that you signed with Warner Nashville, and now that the, the entire country and the entire world can hear what we've been hearing for the last 12 years, let's hear something that Cody Johnson wants us to hear right now. We'd love to hear some music. That year, the 2017, when we got the call up to play the rodeo, um, I wasn't really sure how that was going to work because, I mean, how do you call up a guy who doesn't get mainstream radio play to play in that spot like how do you even promote that guy was my question and uh, we saw whenever they started pushing that music there was radio stations all the way up to Seattle Washington that followed suit uh, and that's a huge thing and when you're a guy like me that gave me what it did was it gave me the power to stick to my guns because we've already gone to Houston rodeo we've already gotten major market radio play that a lot of these guys and we haven't changed what we said we weren't going to change to do it so all that did was just put ammunition in my gun and I appreciate it thank you I used to poke fun at them punch-drunk lovers. Where did that line come from? 
it was myself and Trent Wilman and David Lee writing this song. And uh, who was, I think Trent said, I ain't no Patrick Swayze. And I was like, Patrick Swayze. And he's like, yeah, Dirty Dancing. All the girls like the movie Dirty Dancing. And I'm going, oh, that's true, you know. And uh, so we're, I was thinking about movies. You know, we were just kind of, and I said, I used to poke fun at them punch drunk lovers. And he was like, have you ever even seen the movie Punch Drunk Love? I was like, do I look like I've seen the movie Punch Drunk Love? No. But it sounded really, fr- listen, sometimes in songwriting, it just sounds cool. And it was, it just sounded cool to say, I used to poke fun at them Punch Drunk Lovers. <laughs> like it just, it did. And it became a line of the song. It was pretty uh, innocent. And I've had people ask me, hey, why you got to be poking so much fun at Punch Drunk Lovers? The lovers? And I'm like, I don't know. It's just a line. <laughs> it's a great line. Seventy-four thousand people. Uh, three sold-out shows now at the Houston Live Stock Show. Right the first here? one wasn't sold out. The first one, if I remember right, the first one didn't sell out. the 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 fact that what I was mentioning earlier about the radio play that we received at ninety-three Q was, we sold ten thousand additional tickets on top of what Old Dominion had already sold. And I think if I want if Howie, my manager's in the back, I think it was to the tune of about sixty-three thousand. So with yeah, something like 61, 62, something like that. So then the following year when we had the, the, the you know, the notice. Uh-huh. <laughs> thanks for the notice. Uh, when we actually had some time to prepare, we sold uh, 74,000, right at 75,000 tickets. Yeah, because you had, like, the first time you played it was, like, 24 hours notice. I mean, it's very George Strait-like. When three any, days. Three days. Three days. 72 hours. So it, when I spoke with you about that after the performance, you said you weren't really nervous. And then I read something yesterday you were more nervous about your second performance at the Houston Livestock Show and Rodeo than your first? I was more nervous about this last year. Why? It's uh, a good question. I had to ask myself that question several times. Um, so the first year that we got the call, 2017, I kind of treated it as, and you can ask these guys, uh, we sat in the room backstage, and I think I said something pretty similar to, man, let's act like, this is the last show we're ever going to play because who knows if we're ever going to get to come do this again. You know, let's, let's, you, you never know. I mean, we were the call-up, but there's nothing that says we're going to get to do this again. This might be our only chance to play at this stage. So I think at that point, you let your 12-year-old kid that wanted to play guitar take over, and you go, you know what? How dare y'all give me an opportunity to play on the stage? I'm fixing to go act like a 12-year-old and just jump all over the place, you know. I'm going to ride a horse as fast as I can out of here. Um, and then the next year... Uh, 2018, I think it felt more like uh, now's my time to prove that it was worth having me back. Uh, and when we sold it out, it was like, man, that was it. That's what we needed to do. Uh, then this last year, it felt like, and I think I think 2018 felt like the end of something. To me, it felt like the end of a 10 to 12 year period there, the, the culmination of all that hard work to get to that spot. We played songs off of all of our independent albums Whereas this year, we implemented a lot of new material off this new record. And a lot of fans that we're gaining now, because of the support we've had here at 93Q, are fans that are, are fans of our music because they heard it on mainstream radio for no other reason. They don't know the backstory. They don't know 12 years of preparation. So this year felt more like the, new, the first chapter to a new edition. It was the start of something. You, know, you talk about uh, mainstream radio. Are you fearful... Were you fearful that you would lose the country Texas music fan by becoming more mainstream airplay? You know, when, when Pat Green went to Nashville, that's one of the things Pat said. He goes, I lost my Texas fan base because they thought I sold out. Uh, I'm going to tread lightly. Uh, 
I think that people that lose fans because they went to Nashville is because they made bad decisions. And I'll, I'll, always, I'll always use Corey Morrow because he's a close personal friend of mine, and he's a great mentor. Uh, Corey said, when I went to Nashville, I came back from Nashville with a, a T-shirt that said, Nashville sucks, and I was talking about screw Nashville. And, and, it was, and it was ultimately, and he said, because I was blaming them. I was blaming them for what happened to me. And Corey Morrow's personal, he said, man, but if I hadn't made this decision, or if I hadn't had this person make this decision, if I hadn't signed off on that, you know, so it was all circumstantial. It, really, it wasn't necessary. You can only be mad at somebody so much for what you let them do to you. Does that make sense? Uh, in my opinion, to those, and I got asked on a talk show about two weeks after we finalized our deal, and uh, it was a very, what do you have to say to all these people that are getting ready to leave you that you're going to change? And my exact words were, sorry, I'm from Grofton. I'm going to say it like I'd say it. Hide and watch. Hide and watch and see if I change. If you don't have anything to hide, it's a lot easier to step out of the limelight. My music, the fact is that this record that they're playing in Nashville on mainstream radio was recorded independently anyway. So if you say the music's changed, well, it was, it was me. It was me and Trent Wilman. It was the same program we've had. So uh, I think that now that we are in this limelight, my goal has shifted into exactly what you're saying to remain myself and to remain the sound that we have and, and please not only the people that have gotten me to this point, but the new people who are wondering, how did you get to this point? Well, it's because of these people and their belief in what I'm doing and I'm not changing it, period. Yeah. It, it truly was grassroots with you and it always has been because of your hard work ethic and you'll play for anyone, anywhere and we love that about you. First major label record, Ain't Nothing To It, debuted number one on Billboard's country charts. That is impressive, sir. That is because of all of these people right here. I'm going to tell you that right now. So Let's talk a little bit about um, dreams and, and what is there left to accomplish? Sold out, uh, two sold out shows at the Houston Livestock Show and Rodeo, major label record recording artist now, 12 years in the business, sold out Ryman debut. That's huge, man. No, Ryman, do you know what the Ryman Auditorium is? That's like, it's like the hallowed grounds of Nashville. And uh, was it what, just a couple of weeks ago? Uh, Saturday night. Not Last even Saturday a couple night. weeks ago. Yep. Saturday night. Uh, when you step on the stage of the Ryman and you realize everybody that's played there before you have, do you feel the chills? Do you feel the ghosts? Do you feel the energy? I actually said that the other night. I said, uh, you know, it's kind of like you feel the ghosts in that room. Of and, and, and for those of you, you'll see the material that we, we recorded all day long. And it was one of those, it was a very emotional experience because uh, last night I actually, has anybody seen the movie I Saw the Light about Hank Williams? Don't watch it with your kids in the room. <laughs> Forewarning, but watch that. Watch uh, I Saw the Light. And it's, you know, it's the story about Hank Williams pretty much devoting his entire life. The pinnacle of his career was to get to that stage. And it was a pretty emotional thing to stand in that spot where somebody like Hank Williams uh, pretty much drank himself to death over being fired from. That's a, that's a large, large statement. That's a large spot to stand in. And, uh, you know, you asked me, what do you, where do you go from here? Forward. You go forward. Um, so I've, then never, I've never measured success off of what we've done so far. I've never been like, well, now we've made it. Now I can do whatever I want. Or when I get there, I'll have made it. I made it a long time ago. Anytime you can go do what you love and put, it, put an instrument in your hand or uh, put a tool in your hand and do something you love and make money and provide for your family, I feel like you've already made it at that point. Uh, I, but, love, I love that perspective. But then let me ask you this, is it hard work doing what you do? 
Yeah, I mean, I, <laughs> the miles that we keep and the pressure and all that stuff, I mean, I, could, I, I don't want to sound like I'm playing. Every, every job is hard. Uh, my job is hard, and it takes tolls on me that that's my business. I, I deal with those things in my private time, but you won't ever get a complaint about me. Uh, no matter what you do for a living, part of it's going to suck. No matter what you do for a living. And you're going to get burnt out every now and then, no matter what you do for a living. And I'm human. Uh, and I've been very open my entire career about being human. But not a day goes by that I don't thank God that I get to play country music for a living. That's a big deal for me. And so You're going to make me tear up. Quit asking me emotional questions. Okay, then, then I... I, I <laughs> So what's more difficult then, staying on the back of a Bronco, uh, of a bucking bull for eight seconds, or talking to 30 different radio personalities in a span of three hours? Because i got to tell you, I think I'd take the former ladder rather than the uh, latter. Yeah, the bucking bull's definitely uh, tougher. I did 60 interviews. Yeah, exactly. 60 interviews 60. in, what, three hours? And I got asked a lot of the same questions, and I got okay, through what's and felt like I'd been through a time warp. But what, I, what was the predominantly asked question? What was the most asked question? The worst question in uh, the worst question in radio, television, anywhere is, "What got you into music?" And it's like, well, music, music got me into music. I heard it, and I want to want to do that. You know, and it's like, anyway. How does that work when you're in concert? Because sometimes you've been known to kind of spin on a dime and set list be gone. We're going to do this. So how do you how do you get your band in in um, step with that? Experience and timing, too, because I know that a lot of the times the ideas that I have are great for me, but they may not be great for these guys. Uh, we've actually had fans come up and say, would you play this song? And I'm going, well, I haven't talked to Jake about playing that song in quite a while, so it's a little unfair to him, you know what I mean? But we do, we do take in, into consideration, like, hey, I had somebody ask for this song, or I had somebody ask for this. And now that we're at the point with Ain't Nothing To It, we're at the point where now in the future, we'll be able to cut a little bit from this record, a little bit from this record, a little bit, and have three or four different set lists when we travel around. It just You have to have that much material. Because on every record, it doesn't matter how much you buy of our records and how much you love on them, there's certain songs that just don't work live. You play them live, you can love it. But when I play it for you live in the setting that we play, it, it just kind of goes in one ear and out the other. And that's just the nature of the music business. Some of the greatest songs that we play live that get the best reactions were not my top pick. It was just when we played it, I saw how you reacted to it. And I went, well, if you love it, then I love it too. So, uh, <laughs> exactly. Listen, I took my wife on a date, on our first date, to the Texas Roadhouse in Conroe, right? <laughs> Listen, hey. So we get there, and I park in this spot. We get in my truck afterward. I'm scared to death to kiss her or even ask. And the only CD I had in my truck at the time was Jerry Jeff Walker. And I pushed uh, play, and it was Mississippi, You're On My Mind. And I got my first kiss from my wife that song. So check this out. Fast forward a year later, I tried to be romantic. I parked in the same spot, had the same CD going, right? Well, I, get, I said, you got to get out. I want to show you something I got for you in the back of the truck. She gets out. I propose. She loses her mind. She starts crying. The security guard from the parking lot pulls up, <laughs> hits a spotlight on us, and hits us with a loudspeaker and says, Ma'am, are you okay? Do you need assistance? <laughs> I cannot make this up. Oh, man. I had a police officer pat me down over my proposal, so he's pretty good. You were talking about creating set lists, okay? And, and now you have Ain't Nothing To It. You've got a bunch of songs off of that. You've got a whole six-year, 12-year uh, catalog that you can choose from. That's up to you. Why still throw in uh, Country Boy Can't Survive or Long-Haired Country Boy? Why, why still throw in 
red dirt road. You don't need covers anymore, do you? Uh, well, I said this the other night at the Ryman, and I, I didn't rehearse this, but when I said it and I heard myself saying it, I was like, I was agreeing with myself, like, man, I'm sure glad you're not making a complete idiot out of yourself right now. <laughs> um, I think it's a little unfair for artists that have given their lives to this industry, uh, male or female, any era of country music. We historically, as a genre, have had people give their lives, whether country music has drove them to, I know there's kids in the room, but whether it's drove them to rehab or stardom or death, there are men and women that have given their lives to the sound of country music. And today when I look and listen to country music, it doesn't look or sound a lot like that. And I think that that's a little unfair to those men and women. So if that's going to be my downfall is looking to our past to try to depict our future, I guess I'll just, I'll, I'll bear that. No, everything is cyclical. The 90s country sound is coming back. You're bringing it back. Uh, Brothers Osborne bringing it back. Chris Stapleton bringing it back. I mean, everything is cyclical. So we're going to get that country sound that you grew up on, that we grew up on, because you're part of the pioneer that brings back, man. Well, I appreciate it. So what do you think? I, uh, I spent the first half of my life thinking that I wanted to be a bull rider. I wanted to be a world champion bull rider, and I thought that's what I wanted to do. And uh, when I first started playing this song live, in tune, real music. By the way, if you go watch somebody play live and they don't tune, it's probably not real. Uh, when I first started playing this song, I started thinking to myself, you know, this is the story of my life. And it's really not. Uh, it's really not the story of my life. It's the story of the first part of my life. Uh, I don't know if you're a believer or not, but I am. And I believe that God puts, puts roadblocks in front of you uh, to kind of direct you to where he would have you go. And I wanted to be, it's all about me. I want to be a world champion bull rider. I want to be Rambo Superman. I think I'm awesome. Uh, Little did I know that I was going to catch a whole five-gallon bucket of humility to the face over that whole deal. Uh, and looking back now, it's kind of obvious to see that, that God always put music in my life, country music. He always put this situation right here in my life, playing my guitar for somebody, telling somebody who I am through my art that he gave me. So tonight, I don't know if this offends you or not, but I do this at every single show, whether it's one song, two songs, three songs, or 90 minutes. I want to thank my Lord and Savior that I'm here playing country music for you tonight. This is a huge blessing for me. Contrary to popular belief, I do not have a stack of cash at the house, and I still play honky-tonks. The other night we played for uh, 439 people in Greenville, South Carolina. There was two fights. I ain't kidding you. I mean, and look, and a lot of these artists might be over it, but... We're never through paying dues. We still play these places. And here's the deal. I like settings like this because to me, this is almost as intimidating. And if you treat, if you stay humble, if you really truly stay humble and you treat every venue the same, this is just as intimidating as Houston Rodeo because I can't hide from you in here. <laughs> By the way, I'm going to need you all to clear this path when I ride my horse out here in a little while. <laughs> uh, favorite venue I've ever played? Red Rocks in, oh, in Colorado. Denver, Colorado, yeah. I love the Grizzly Rose in Denver, Colorado. Yeah, I love the Rose. It's a big bar. It's like shenanigans in Huntsville on steroids. <laughs> if you can believe yeah, that. <laughs> but it's just, yeah, I think that's one of my favorite places to play. I, I, I'll never forget the time I was dead sick. I mean, I had a 102-degree fever. 
I was horribly sick. I had two IVs in two days that sick, like homemade chicken noodle soup from the bar. And uh, I, uh, that first night, we did a two-night stand there, and it was both, both nights were sold out. And I went to turn to Jody, and I fell down to both my knees. I just kind of almost passed out. I was so sick. Still played both those shows, and uh, they gave me a buckle over that show. And so I was like, <laughs> I got sick and won a buckle. We're good. <laughs> you almost bucked off. I almost bucked off. Eight seconds is eight seconds, Jody. <laughs> I actually looked at Jody and said, well, and I quoted Lonesome Dove. Any Lonesome Dove fans in here tonight? I said, well, Woodrow, looks like we're about to find out whether we're meant to be cowboys or not. <laughs> well, before the Rolling Stones went out on the Steel Wheels tour, they did three shows. They did a small show for about 100 people, then they did a medium show for 2,000, and then they went and finally did the big stadium show. And Mick Jagger was asked, why did you guys do that? And he said, because if it works for a small crowd, we know it's going to work for a big crowd. So, you know, in, in one respect, this is like a proving ground, isn't it? Well, and I feel, uh, yes, and I feel like that, and I've said this to my guys in private, and like I said, I'm not going to throw mud at anybody. So when I say these things, don't think, oh, I bet he's talking about such and such. In our private time before a show, like the other night when we had issues with uh, advertisement and all the different reasons why we were playing in front of a smaller crowd than usual, it was an ego check. And I believe that God puts everything in your path for a reason. And you can ask Jody and Jake, we sat back there and I went, look, man, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter why we're here. It matters that we are here, and it matters that our people are here to see us. Twelve years ago, I'd have gave my left pinky to have this many people in a room, and these people came here to put on a show. So they get the show. It doesn't matter. And if you can't put on a show in a little bitty bar room or like this, if you can't record a song, if, if a song's on your record and you can't sit down with this and play it, I'm not in the business of that. That's not, that's not what I'm into. And I don't know if you agree with me or not, but that's, that's just kind of where I stand on it. Uh, there's a, a single. Does anybody know it? It's called On My Way to You. Anybody? Yeah, we've heard that. Yeah, but we haven't heard it tonight. Is that on the set list? Yes. I've never told this story, uh, and I'm being serious. I, I'm, when you hear me say things like that, I'm not being fake. You're not going to watch an interview from three months ago where I go, I've never told this story. Um, so we recorded On My Way to You on a gut string, which is a nylon string guitar, and I only owned one. And it was really, really a horrible guitar. Right? Yeah. Yeah. I, mean, I play it all the time. Uh, but so for this song, and when we decided that it was going to be the first single, I thought, well, i got to have a gut string guitar. So I went to my friends at Wildwood Guitars in Colorado Springs, Colorado, where I'd bought most of my guitars from. This guitar was a handmade guitar by Dwayne Waterman, who, owns, who now owns uh, Sonora Guitars out of New Mexico. This guitar was 31 years old. It had gotten dropped in its first year of existence and had some cracks down the back, and, they, and it was a very, very high-end guitar. This guitar sat on a shelf for 30 years before I drove the bus into Colorado Springs. Or what was it? It was outside of Denver. It was, out, it was yeah, it was a small, South Denver. Uh, it was a small, t what was it? Fort Collins, Colorado. Yeah, maybe that. We pull up on the city streets, and I get out of the bus like some big rock star, you know, and I go in and I try all these guitars out, and I couldn't stop playing this one. And it was just, I feel like, so the first time I actually played this guitar live was on Fox and Friends Live in New York City. I had it shipped there so we could play it. So this, song, this guitar was brought off the shelf and brought back to life after 30 years because of this song. I usually don't do this, Cody, but I am going to take an opportunity to speak on behalf of everybody here that we are certainly glad God put that rodeo roadblock up for you because if he didn't, we'd be uh, deprived 
of some very, very great country Thank music, sir. Thank you very sir. much. Thank, Thank you. you very much. We've bought the CDs. We're going to continue to buy the CDs. And let us know when the Cody Johnson Book of Wisdom comes out because, bam, brother, that's, <laughs> that's going to be a bestseller too, man. I can't wait to tell my wife you said that. <laughs> that's it for the Fuzzy Mike. Thank you. The Fuzzy Mike with Kevin Klein. Executive producer, Trish Klein. Mouth noises by Zach Sheesh at the Radio Farm. Fuzzy Mike. Get your fuzz fix online anytime at thefuzzymike.com. Everywhere with the iHeartRadio app and in this pocket. Wow, that is a lot of fuzz. Thanks for listening to the Fuzzy Mike.